The scripture this morning is from 1 Peter 4, uh, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. We've had the worst battery day we've ever had with my mic, and yet somehow that reminded me to always turn it back on. I always feel so bad for the sound people when I'm like, my mic's not on. They're like, yeah, you turned it off. They never say it that way either, ever. Most of the end times texts in the New Testament especially come with a great deal of urgency. And that urgency is not a chronological urgency. The urgency is, if all of these things are true, there's inevitable change. And it's not a call to behavior. It's, of course, everything's different. If Jesus loves us this much and has, in fact, died for us, When Peter talks about the end times here, there's a great sense of urgency. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Okay, what do we do? Love and serve one another and glorify God. If these things are true, specifically to 1 Peter, the things in chapters 1 and 2, that, he, uh, that we are now living stones of his church, because of God's grace and mercy and peace, then there is inevitable, seismic change, forever change in our being. We are literally given a new heart. That's the new covenant. And therefore, everything is different. How did I lose my place in my... There it is. The end of all things is at hand. Okay, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I think Peter's getting at something similar to in chapter 3 when he says to husbands that, that their wives are heirs with them of the grace of life so that their prayers may not be hindered. I think Peter's connecting some dots here that um, our prayers ought to reflect our actual thoughts 
and our actual emotions and our actual life. I wonder what God does with hypocritical prayers. You know, like we know that prayer is powerful. We know that God always hears us. We also know that prayer is an integrated part of our life. And therefore, what Peter's reminding us of here in chapter 4 is our prayers don't matter simply because of what we say. They also are connected with who we are and, and what we do and what we think and how we feel. If that makes you uncomfortable, perhaps re-familiarize yourself or familiarize yourself for the first time with the Psalms. Very comfortable in community and alone, being entirely honest with God about the state of things in their own lives, how they think he's doing. Oftentimes, Psalms are pretty critical of God's actions or omission of actions. I think Peter is discouraging us from praying any other way than how we actually think and feel. God will tend to those things and sort them out. He's not going to accidentally grant a prayer request of yours that's hypocritical. Just as a, as a um, not an aside, but a connected point, I suppose. When you ask me for prayer for your sister or for a cousin or for your neighbor— I begin that prayer by praying for you. I think there's something in us, and I I think it's probably the product of our Western thinking, which isn't evil in and of itself, but it's not biblical, where we'll we'll take something like prayer, we know God hears us, we know it's powerful, and so then we say, will you pray for my cousin, my cousin's sick? Instead of, will you pray for me as I attempt to love my cousin? And would you pray for my cousin who's sick? But as an FYI, when you ask me to pray for you, that's how I'm going to, or for your sister or for your cousin, that's how I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you first, then for them. I believe there's power beyond community, but our prayers are not disconnected from our friendships and from the life of faith that we enjoy with one another. Peter's writing about the end times, and for him, that's a full setup to talk about uh, how we serve in the local church and how we love one another in the local church. And I think that's, it's delightfully um, disorienting to us, right? We want all of our end times um, discussion to look like Ezekiel and Revelation and Daniel, and yet in, in 1 Thessalonians and here in 1 Peter, and when um, Paul talks about it in other places, it has a lot to do with how we love people right now. I think we want all end times things to look dramatic and cinematic, And part of the reason is we don't have a full biblical picture from all the many sources, the many books, that talk about how the end times not only look, but more importantly, how they affect our daily life. Last night, uh, I tried to get my 14-year-old to watch Seabiscuit, and we got six minutes in, and she said, can we try Ghostbusters? And what dad would say no to that request from a 14-year-old? And this was in my notes uh, a few weeks ago. I think we want end times things to look like this. What do you mean biblical? It means this real testament type stuff. Real wrath of God type stuff.
One, one time's good. Thanks. My brother and I had that recorded on a VHS tape. And so for years, the opening scene to Ghostbusters for me was uh, Harold Ramis destroying the bar of that hotel. Um, I think we want it to look more like Ghostbusters and less like learning to love and serve one another. And there are images that are incredible. And yet Peter reminds us of the end times as a way of of sending us to love and serve and sympathize with one another. The end of all things is at hand. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. It doesn't seem to fit in our mind, but it absolutely fits in his. And sympathy is part of this. The, the construction of, the, of verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Earnestly, the word there, uh, it, er, I'm not sure if that's true. I know that in verse 8, love is connected to sympathy. When I said I'm not sure that that's true, what I mean is I just don't remember the full word order in Greek. I did look at it, I did study it, I came prepared. Sympathy is part of love. There are a lot of things to say about love. I'm going to focus on this one because it's actually in the Greek. The translation is really good, but it's a lot of participles, and so... Anyway, are you good at sympathy? Some of us are more naturally skilled in it than others. It's part of love. It's a skill we need to grow in, perhaps especially in COVID time when, when all of us are experiencing grief. Some of us more acutely than others through medical issues or death or other things that we need to grieve, but all of us are experiencing grief. Can you sit with someone and not talk? It's part of it. Some of you are like, of course I can. Well, some people actually are incapable of doing that. When I go to sit with someone and I know that they're disoriented and or grieving, I usually try and come up with as many ways as I can to ask them how they're doing without actually saying, how are you doing? Because people that are very disoriented oftentimes have no ability to answer that question. You know? You guys know this, right? So I try and come up with different versions. Try and come up with ways of asking, typically more specifically. The more specific a question, the easier it is to answer. How are you good at expressing sympathy? You good at writing cards? Some of you have sent me some lovely, lovely, lovely encouraging cards. I keep them, by the way. Kept almost every card that has been sent to me in the six and a half years that I've been here. Thanks. I'm terrible at writing cards. Mostly by that I mean I, I don't do it. I'm more of a let's sit on your back porch sympathizer. Some of you are good with gifts. You really know how to buy a specific gift that can encourage someone. Some of us are better at conversation than others. My encouragement, I've said this before, when you're attempting to sympathize with someone or, or you're wanting to offer something to them, the, the key is to make it easy to say yes or no to. You know, so what can I do to help is actually an unhelpful question. But I'm going to the grocery store. Are there some things I can pick up for you? Is an excellent question and way to sympathize with someone. Peter connects this with grumbling too. 
Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I've been thinking a lot about grumbling this week. Because, I, well, for a lot of reasons. And I think it's important that we actually wrestle with this question because I don't think for Peter the opposite of grumbling is silence. I think for Peter the opposite of grumbling is serving and showing hospitality. So what kind of grumbler are you? I've decided, I actually, I, I cannot decide what my least favorite and favorite kind of grumbler is because they're all different, right? So the grumbler who has a, criti- let's just say they have a criticism and the criticism's true and they're willing to help. Well, that's challenging because I take things too personally. You know that, right? But it's good if they're offering to help and if they're right. All right, let's fix it. If it's true and they're not willing to help, well, that's frustrating because then I hear them saying, you know, you you fix it. If it's not true and they are willing to help, well, that's challenging because now they want to fix something that's not broken or that shouldn't be fixed or, you know, so that's challenging. If it's not true and they're not willing to help, in some ways, that's the easiest. Email received. Send, you know. But I don't think you're supposed to be silent about what you see that we could do better as a community of saints. Whether that has to do with our worship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Whether that has to do with how we do community, which is a very important part of church. We have to get real creative in COVID time. It's still important. Whether that's how we do faithful presence, too much, too little, it is possible to do too much. You wear people out. It's very possible to do too little and not actually show the community the love of God. So I don't know what kind of grumbler you are. But I think Peter's point is we are not to be silent. We are to participate in the community of saints. So Peter writes about the end to remind us to love and to serve one another. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Maybe he does mean don't grumble in there. But these are interconnected things. It's not that you don't see things, but you're to participate. What gift have you received? One thing that concerns me and has is concerned me throughout my time in uh, working for churches, being a pastor, I'm concerned that you think that my gift is better than your gift. If you don't, that's awesome. I'm so glad because it's not. It's just as important. I love that Peter here talks about speaking, and he talks about serving. A lot of churches make a, um, a lot of churches have different ways of approaching spiritual gifts. Some rely, in my opinion, way too exclusively on Paul's formulation in Ephesians, apostles, prophets, evangelists, servants, and teachers, because four of those involve speaking and one does not. Paul's making a lot of points when he, when he says that. There are a lot of ways to serve. Others like to use spiritual gift assessments and things like strength finder and stuff like that. But it's very, very important before we get into any of that. It's very, very important that you know that your gifts have the same value in the kingdom as everyone else's. They look different. They function differently. It's harder to see 
especially those who serve behind the scenes, how that gift serves the kingdom, it's harder to see than what I'm doing right now, right? Literally, like just harder to see because they're not standing up here and they don't want to usually. But it's very important. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your gifts are just as important? If you do, I'm so glad. That is incredibly encouraging to me. If not, I'd encourage you to pray, Lord, would you convince me? And you know what's fun is you, you're actually supposed to be proud of what you're good at too and called to. Not any more proud than if someone else could do it well, but proud. And it's a gift that you've received. That which you're called to do, both in the church and not, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We use the terms um, worship, community, and faithful presence um, as church vision language, but before it's church vision language, it's supposed to be a path of discipleship. If you're a follower of Christ, you're not only supposed to participate in, but you're supposed to serve in our worship and our efforts at community and our efforts for faithful presence. You're like, I don't have time for all that. Not every week. I know how busy you are. But you are to serve in those ways. And if that's true, if it's part of discipleship, then that means that's the path for the flourishing life. It is also a church vision. It is also an explanation of what we're going to encourage you to participate in as a follower of Christ. Some of your gifts are obvious. Others are more subtle. I was pointing at Dan Spagnese, who's been leading us in worship every other week since COVID. Every other week, just about before that, too. Yeah. And some of your gifts are not so obvious. And we have to work uh, to find places for people to serve in the ways that they are called. But when we talk about worship and community and faithful presence, those are not only the things we do as a church, they're your path of discipleship also. If you don't know where you're called, I have loved figuring out this Venn diagram. And look at our communications director, made it all colorful. Let's see if I can get these three at a time. When I practiced this, I tried to get them three at a time. So your calling as a follower of Jesus involves three things. Not limited to, but I think most things can fall under this umbrella. Three things. Your affections. Your gifts. And your circumstances. If you're operating just out of the things that you love, just the stuff that makes your heart come alive, but you're not actually good at it, and your circumstances don't directly allow it, well, you're kind of selfish. If all I did to serve the church was cook, that would be selfish, both because I'm not that great at it, I am getting better, and because of my circumstances, which involves my education and the things that other people have told me I'm good at, that's where circumstances and gifts start to overlap, it's kind of selfish. If you're operating just out of what you're good at, but your heart's not in it and your circumstances don't really allow it, you're kind of a robot. And if it's just your circumstances, then you're surviving. And God has more for you, both in the local church and in your own life, than that. 
If you're operating out of your affections and your gifts, but you're ignoring your life circumstances, oftentimes your friendships and your closest relationships are gonna be sacrificed. If you're operating just out of your circumstances and your gifts, you're probably gonna burn out because your heart's not in it. If you're operating just out of your affections and your circumstances, well, you're not nearly as helpful as you think you are. You know, I can play a couple of chords on guitar. Not gonna help our worship team if I'm like, hey, can I play backup? you know, guitar with you guys? Your actual calling is when we listen to other people help us figure out these three things, when we pray about it, when we try our hand at some things, and then move forward and learn to serve in worship and in our efforts at community and in faithful presence. And if you are fried and can't even think about it, there are, we go through seasons like that. I've had a number of people come to this church very burned out on religion, not on Jesus. And I say, would you just go to church for a year? There are seasons like that. And COVID is going is to um, accentuate that. So you may not be ready. But we need you. We need you to learn, not learn. We need you to love. We need you to show hospitality. Uh, One of our beta beta testers pointed out to me that um, the first time that they tested the service, it was very uncomfortable because it felt like coming to church for the first time. We need ushers, we need greeters, we need people gifted in music, we need people gifted at doing this. It's not all my job. And it's not supposed to be. We need people gifted at tech. And you're like, I'm not coming to the church. We need people who are not yet able to come to church or willing to come to church to help us be creative about how we do these things without leaving our home. And if you're not ready, that is fine with me. You have limits. You are grieved right now, some acutely, all of us, chronically through COVID. That's fine, but we do need you as a church. Because Peter calls us good stewards of God's very grace. Gosh, isn't that a beautiful verse? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When I summarize the gospel, I like to say you have a role. That's my favorite part. The first part is that you're loved. Second part, in my opinion, is sin. Separates us from God. Thanks be to Jesus, who restores us to God through his work. The third part is you have a role. Sometimes I switch to to use the word agent. You're an agency of his shalom and love and justice and peace. Peter here calls us stewards. And in 2020, I don't think we like that word because we are lustfully idolatrous about believing that the buck stops with us. We are our own person. Autonomy is the bottom line for most Western people. We think that is the full expression of human existence. When we're our own boss, when we call our own shots, we know what's best for us. But if God exists, and he knows what is better for us than we do, then steward is such an honor 
to hear him call us that. Through the Holy Spirit's inspiration and Peter's pen, you are a steward of God's varied grace. What an honor. I don't think our culture thinks so, but God does. It's an honor to be called a steward and to learn to steward what? Well, specifically here, your gift set, what you're called to do, which typically when I speak about this, I would say outside of the church as well as inside of the church, but Peter's talking specifically about inside the church. That's not the only thing that he's concerned with. He already talked about evangelism, but here specifically he's talking about the church. You both are a steward and you are to grow in stewarding your gifts in this local church. And you're like, I'm not even going to show up for a year. You can still learn to serve. And you can still get better at serving. And so can I. And I love how Peter concludes this. Just in case we thought it was about us. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. You know that's the point, right? I can't see any of your facial expressions because of the mask, but you can, you can nod. You know that's the point, right? To give him glory. Come on, there are humans in the room. I'm trying to enjoy this. <laughs> Is that too much? Now you're thinking you could get better too at preaching. None of that. The point is to glorify God. That is actually how we flourish as humans. That's not why we do it. We do it because he's God and he's holy and good and altogether loving. We also do it for the good of our neighbor. Actually, why we worship him and learn to use our gifts. And it also benefits us, but it's in that order. First, we glorify him because he is him and we are us. Second, we do it because it's good for our neighbor. You're actually blessing your neighbor right now by worshiping with them. And it is how we become fully ourselves in Christ. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, indeed, glory and dominion are yours forever and ever. And we praise and thank you for that. God, we ask that you comfort us in our specific griefs and in this time of great grief. For all that we thought this year was going to be and all that it has not been, comfort and assure us of your love. Jesus, we praise and thank you not only for the work that you did reconciling us to God, but also for calling us to serve alongside you and the Holy Spirit in the work of the saints. Bless us as we worship. Bless us with a sense of your love and grace and steadfastness. Amen.